0: Without really even thinking at all about what it means that Christ came uh, and took on flesh and died for us. I mean, obviously, we know, you know, the kind of cliche Jesus is the reason for the season. uh, But. Knowing that and meditating on that and devoting ourselves to think about what that means for us in a practical way as we go through this season isn't something that we easily do. And so on Sundays, we want to be really intentional about celebrating Advent as a body. That's why we sing Christmas songs, because they are worship songs. Uh, that's why we study Advent together. Some years we've done the kind of traditional uh, peace, love, joy, hope, Advent Uh, structure. This year we're doing something different. Uh, We're doing the series that we're calling the Black Sheep of Advent. And what that means is we are looking at people in Jesus's lineage that uh, you would think would not be there. Uh, We're looking at how uh, one of the reasons why Jesus came was to redeem even those who seem like they're unredeemable. And the reason why we're looking at that is not so we can look at the lives of these four people we're going to talk about over the next four weeks and say, man, they were so bad, but so that we can see, hey, he saved them. That means not only can he save me, he can save everyone, and he can redeem even the darkest places in my heart and life that I don't want anyone to know about. So the purpose of this series is for us to marvel more at who Jesus is and why he came and what he's going to continue to do in us as we await his second coming, the the next advent. And so we're going to start by reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. This is a passage that we've probably read uh, maybe dozens of times. You know, it's the first passage in the New Testament, and it's just this boring list of names. But in this list of names, there are people behind the names. And so that's what we're going to do over the next four weeks. We're going to pick four people, and I'll tell you who those are in just a minute. Let's read the passage first. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akam, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations, from Abraham to David, were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. So Matthew starts off his gospel with this list of names. And he says this is the, the genealogy, the, the genesis of, of the Messiah of jesus and he 's telling us that he is both the son of David and son of Abraham, but in the course of this genealogy, he gives us uh, a really a lot of individuals you know as we 're talking about the black sheep of advent it 's not uh, hard to find stories for us to look at it 's hard to pick which ones we 're going to look at because really there 's one guy in this list other than Jesus, who the Bible kind of celebrates, and that 's Josiah, everyone else has some sort of black mark on their record, and Josiah probably does too if we would look harder or if they would have mentioned it and so the four people we 're going to look at are the ones that Matthew actually seems to emphasize there's Judah who fathered sons with Tamar, and we 're going to understand in a little bit why that 's strange uh, David is the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Matthew points out that she's not even his wife. Uh, There's Rahab, who women weren't typically mentioned in genealogies. And then last, there's this king, uh, Manasseh, who I'm guessing that most of us don't even know who that is. And honestly, I didn't before I started looking into these names more. So we're going to talk about who that guy is on the last week. But this week, we're talking about Judah. And so... Uh, Because we're going to read some really large chunks of scripture, there's going to be a couple people, Caleb and, no, they're right there. Yeah, it's like, I knew I just looked at you guys two minutes ago. They're going to come read Genesis 37 and 38. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. This passage was not recorded. Genesis 37 and 38 are about the betrayal of Joseph by his brothers and the story of Tamar and Judah. All right, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to, again, focus our minds on your word, that we would recognize the truth that it is living and active, and that by your Spirit you inspired your people to write down your words so that we could read them today, so that that same spirit could take your word and apply it to our hearts and enlarge our view of your holiness and perfection and grace and mercy and enlarge our view of our own sinfulness. And we pray that as we look at this story that seems strange to read in the Bible, God, that you would use it to help us to be more honest with ourselves about our own wickedness. And from that to just marvel again at the grace you've shown us in Christ in spite of both who we were and who we still are. Yeah, we thank you that you have redeemed us, that you did send your Son into this world and that our hope is not Waiting some promise to be fulfilled, but is hope that's based on a promise that has been fulfilled. And yet we wait the the final installment of that. Jesus in your name, we pray. Amen. All right, so genesis chapter thirty seven and thirty eight. this is the story of Judah. Judah is uh, Jacob's fourth son. He was one of Leah's sons, and uh, in the chapter that Jana read in Genesis chapter thirty-seven, the first thing the author tells us is about uh, these dreams that Joseph had. Uh, Joseph seems like he was having prophetic dreams or prophetic visions, which which are real, are in the Bible. And uh, people have them, and there is truth in them, which is what we see in this story, that what Joseph dreams actually happens. Like his brothers do come and submit themselves to him so that they can have food to eat later in Egypt. If we were to keep reading in Genesis, we would read about that. And so these dreams actually were fulfilled. The problem was that Joseph uh, was kind of a, a tool about it when he told his brothers about it. He was, you know, bragging about these dreams that he had had, and it caused his brothers and then later his mom and his dad to resent him for it. And then uh, we read about what his brothers do. Uh, his brothers are jealous of the relationship he has with his father, and so uh, Joseph or Jacob sends Joseph out into the fields to uh, be with his brothers, to see how they're doing. Um, and they see him coming from afar, and they, desire they're gonna, or they, they decide they're going to kill him. They conspire together. They see their brother coming from far off, and they say, let's do something to fix this problem we have with our brother. And so they decide, let's throw him in a pit. Uh, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we'll say a fierce animal has devoured them. But Reuben, the oldest brother, he's the voice of reason. And he says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit and then you know, he'll die on his own and his blood won't be on our hands. But then these traitors come along and Judah has an idea. This is our first interaction with Judah other than his birth. So Judah says, hey, there's these traitors coming. Let's not just throw our brother into a pit because then we don't get anything out of it. Let's sell him into slavery to these other people, which, you know, that's not something uh, that really anyone would think is a good thing to do, right? You don't sell people into slavery. You especially don't sell your brother into slavery. This is Judah's idea. It's what he wants to do. Um, and so that's what they do. They side with Judah, and then when the traders come by, they sell him into slavery into Egypt. Reuben later finds out that his plan has kind of been foiled. He can't um, save his brother. So this is the man that we get introduced in Genesis chapter thirty-seven. It's this deceitful instigator who sells his own brother into slavery. The rest of the chapter finishes with. Uh, Jacob just mourning for the loss of his son. And there's this kind of repeated phrase that comes up in Genesis 37 and in Genesis chapter 38. People bring something to someone and say, identify if this is whatever. So they bring the robe to Joseph or to Jacob. He identifies it as his sons. And then later we're going to see Judah kind of in a reversal of that situation. Instead of being the person that hands something to someone else to identify it, he gets handed something later in Genesis chapter 38. That's where we really figure out what kind of man Judah is. The beginning of the chapter uh, that Caleb read, it tells us that he, you know, leaves his brothers, he goes down from his brothers, he turns aside to a certain adulamite whose name is Hira. Now, I'm assuming that none of us know what an adulamite is or who this person Hira is. We can easily get lost in the names that come up in chapters like this. But what's important for us to get is that these people weren't part of the people of God. So he leaves his brothers, this kind of uh, chosen, promised people that God had set apart for himself, and Judah leaves them, and he goes and he starts hanging out with these other guys, with these Adulamites. and this person becomes a really close friend who comes up again and again in the chapter, and then Judah takes a wife from among the Canaanites, which even in the book of Genesis, the Canaanites are bad. So it's prohibited for them to marry these people, but Judah does it anyway. He leaves his brothers, he goes, he makes friends with these other people, and he has kids with them. He has Ur, uh, Onan, and Shua. And then he tells us about what happens when they get married. They marry Tamar. Well, not all of them, just two of them. Ur marries her, he's wicked in the sight of the Lord, the Lord kills him. And then Onan does the work of a brother-in-law. It was In this culture, it was customary, if your brother did not have an heir, uh, you would be responsible, if you weren't married, to marry his wife and raise up an heir for him. That seems really weird to us, but that's how it worked. And so that's what happens. Uh, Judah gives Tamar Onan, and Onan, we're told, in uh, verse... I want to read this so you don't think I'm making it up, even though we already heard Caleb read it. Whenever he would uh, be with his wife in a marital way, uh, he would waste the semen on the ground. How many of you thought we would say that in church this morning? <laughs> he was refusing to do uh, his duty as a brother and raise up an offspring, and so that is wicked inside the Lord, and he dies too. So Judah has these two sons. He has Onan, he has Ur, both of them die. So there's only one son left, his name is Shelah, and he's young. He's not grown up, and so uh, Judah tells Tamar, hey, wait till he's older, and then I'll give him to you as a husband, and then he can raise up an heir for Ur. And then the story turns. In the course of time, Judah's wife dies. So Judah uh, is going about his business, he's mourned, and then he goes down to visit his friend, the Adullamite. And that's when we get introduced to Tamar again. She has taken off her widow's garments, she dresses herself up as a prostitute, and she goes uh, by the gate of the place to wait for Judah. Judah comes down, he sees her, and again, demonstrating what kind of man he is, he strikes up a proposition with her. He says, I'll give you this. If you give me that, they make it a deal. He gives her a promise so that he'll send her uh, one of the sheep, one of the goats from his flock, and they're both in agreement. And so they uh, they do the deed. They have sex, and Tamar gets pregnant. By this time, Judah has figured out that this prostitute that he thought just hung out around this area isn't actually there. His friend tells him there's no prostitutes that hang out in this place, and so he's confused. He doesn't know what has happened. Um, but I imagine he's also probably pretty happy because he didn't have to pay for what he got. So he's thinking he kind of got off scot free. And then he finds out three months later that Tamar is pregnant. And this guy responds how we see most sadly men respond in scripture he's indignant. And self-righteous. He says, bring her out and let her be burned. Because that's the punishment. She's brought out. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify who these are. The signet and the cord and the staff. So this is the stuff that he had gave her in pledge uh, for sex. Jude identifies them as his own, and he says, finally, the one thing that he does in these chapters that's actually a good thing, he says, she's more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not know her again. So he actually, sort of just throwing her under the bus, recognizing her sin, he begins to recognize his own sin. And while it doesn't tell us that he repents, uh, he at least seems to turn back from his sin and recognize that it, it wasn't what he should have done, and I think, as we'll see later, he gets on this path of redemption. But before that, the question that we should ask whenever we see a story like this—and there's a few of them or more in Genesis—is why in the world is this in the Bible? You know, as Moses is sitting down, uh, we think it was Moses, it might have been somebody else, but as whoever is sitting down to write the book of Genesis. You're writing the story, telling about how God calls these people out and then is kind of working his plan of redemption for the whole world through these people. Why put this story in? You know, of all the things that you could tell about the people, the characters in this book, why would you put this one in? And the reason why this one is here is found in Genesis chapter 49. So turn over that way. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable is water. You shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of peoples. Binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. And he goes on to bless all of his other sons. So what's happening here is Jacob is dying. And we see this recurring pattern throughout the book of Genesis where God makes a promise to one of the patriarchs, to Abraham. Right, That's the first promise that comes to. He says that he's going to bless Abraham. He's going to make his name great. He's going to give him a land and raise up his descendants as the people of God. Then Abraham dies. And when Abraham dies, he passes on the promise to Isaac. And when Isaac dies, he passes on the promise to Jacob. And then now, Jacob is dying, and he is going to pass on God's promise to the next generation. So he starts with his firstborn son, Reuben. But we find out that Reuben is disqualified. We can go back in Genesis and read the story about where Reuben decides that he wants to sleep with one of his father's wives, and he does. So because of that, he's disqualified from inheriting the promise. Then, Simeon and Levi, uh, he tells us, are violent If we were to go back and read Genesis chapter 34, we would see a story in which Simeon and Levi slaughter an entire village of people. And they also hamstring oxen, which is bad. Next comes Judah. And Judah, even though there's the story that we read about, Jacob says that it's to him that the promise is going to get passed on. Earlier in Genesis God promises not only to bless Abraham's descendants and raise them up as a people and give them a land, but he also says that kings are going to come from them. And he says that one of his descendants is going to be the descendant who's going to overthrow the enemy and the enemies of the people of God. And so now we find out that that king is going to come through the tribe of Judah. Right? He says that uh, the scepter, the, the ruling staff, it's not going to depart from Judah, it will always be between his feet until tribute comes to him, until people give him the reverence and the glory and honor that he deserves, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He is going to be uh, one of his descendants, one of those that will come after him, will have this kingdom, and this kingdom will last forever. And we know, because we read Matthew 1 to start all this off, who that descendant is. This descendant of Judah is going to come who's going to be a son of Abraham and a son of David. He's going to rule forever and his kingdom will have no end and he will have the obedience of the people. Tribute will come to him. But who does this promise get passed on to? Right. What happens when Judah dies? Matthew tells us who it is, right? It's Perez. It's the one who like, You know, shoves his in utero brother out of the way and forces his way out. He gets the promise. So the reason why that this crazy story about this guy who, you know, tries to marry off his sons who both get struck down and then himself ends up sleeping with her because he thinks she's a prostitute and then, you know, tries to have her burned and then later repents of it. The reason why that story is in Genesis is because it tells who the promise goes to next. God uses Judah's sin. He uses this this incredible saga of sexual sin to bring about his promise of redemption for the next generations. The reason why we have redemption, one of the reasons why we have redemption is because Judah slept with Tamar because he thought she was a prostitute. And like, that's horrible and that's sinful. And this entire story is horrible and sinful, but it's in Scripture because it tells how God works even through the most unredeemable situations. But there's more in Judah's story than just this, than just him being, you know, an example of how God works through sin. Genesis chapter 42. I want to read you what happens when Judah and his brothers go down to Egypt. So what's going on here at this point of the story is there's a famine in the land. And Joseph has had another dream. So he's had Egypt, who he's you know working with the Pharaoh, store up grain so that they'll be able to sustain themselves when these years of famine come. And because of that, other people from the surrounding region have been coming to buy grain in Egypt. And Joseph is kind of the one in charge. And his brothers have gone down to Egypt because they want to purchase grain so that they can eat food, so that they can live. and uh, they 've already been down once, and uh, joseph or Joseph sins sorry, all these j names are confusing me. Joseph sends his brothers back because he wants them to bring Benjamin down, who 's his younger brother that he hasn 't met because he was sold into slavery. so they 've come down, and this is what happens. Pick it up in verse six. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the only one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces on the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where did you come from? He said. They said from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father. So they haven't gone back to get Benjamin yet. So if you're confused, that's what's going on. The youngest of this day is with our father. And one is no more. The one who is no more is the one they're talking to, but they don't know it. But Joseph said to them, "'It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested. Whether there is truth in you or else, by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies.'" And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. I'm talking about what they did to Joseph. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, but there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. They loaded up their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men, we have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest to this day is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. "'Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your household, and go your way. "'Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, "'and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land.' "'As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack.' And when they and their father saw the bundles of the money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to him, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if you do not bring him back to me. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My sons shall not go down for you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. So in the last four verses, I realized that I read the wrong chapter. (laughs) So I meant to read chapter 44, and I'm not going to read that whole chapter because we've already read a lot of the Bible, and, you know, reading too much of the Bible is bad for you. So that's the first part of the story. They go back to the land where their father is. And they say, let us take our brother down there. He says, no, you can't take him. Because if you take him, then I'm just going to lose all of my sons. Finally, they convince him to let them go back down there. They go back down to Egypt. And uh, Judah essentially tricks them. He gives them grain, but he also plants like a little statue or something in one of the sacks, in the sacks that Benjamin has. And he says, someone is stole from me. And his brothers all say, no, we didn't steal anything from you. We didn't steal anything from you. And then one of them says, you know, search us, and you'll know that we're not thieves. So he goes through all the sacks. He finds the thing that was stolen in uh, Benjamin's sack, and then he wants to punish Benjamin for that. Benjamin is, you know, Jacob's youngest son, the one that he didn't want to send down there. And so when this happens, this is what Judah does. Verse 18 of chapter 44. Then Judah went up to him, to Joseph, and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to him, Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a young brother." the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your younger brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. When our father said, Go again, buy us a little food. We said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And your servant said, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. This is what's important here. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So Judah, in light of what's happened, Joseph wants to keep Benjamin as a prisoner, Judah says, no, keep me instead. We cannot go back to my father without him, and so I will stay in his place, let him go back with my brothers to my father. This is a pretty dramatic turn of events in the life of Judah. Before, he was this guy who willingly sold one of his brothers into slavery. Now, talking to that same brother, but he doesn't know it, he's willing to substitute himself in the place of Benjamin so that Benjamin can go back and be with his father. We don't know, know, we aren't told what happened in Judah's life to make this transformation take place. Um, But I think it's so important for us to recognize that change has taken place. He's willing to put himself in the place of his brother so that his sons, his fellow sons, can return to his father. Ultimately, Joseph discloses himself. He says, no, it's me, you know, I'm your brother. And Judah doesn't need to substitute himself. But the theme that we see in his life, right, the one of being willing to put yourself in place of someone else comes up again and again in Scripture. And ultimately, we know that it finds its fulfillment in Christ, in one of Judah's descendants. Right? He came, he put himself in our place so that he could bring us back to his father. And that's why Advent matters. That's why these Old Testament stories matter. That's why these you know, crazy, strange stories that we don't fully understand in the Bible matter because they point towards the redemption that's going to come in Christ right they tell us the story of who god is and the amazing lengths that he has gone to to redeem his people he used right incredibly sinful and wicked people to keep the promise alive as we go through this series that's what we're going to see again and again and again in situations in which we would think god can't work in that he can't work through those people that's exactly what he does And as we study these things together, it's my hope for myself personally and for you too that we would see the Spirit of God change us so that we don't look at anyone as unredeemable. So we don't look at anyone as somebody that God can't work through or God can't transform because he can. And if we're honest with ourselves and willing to acknowledge it, the simple fact that he works through us is proof of that because we know the wickedness of our own heart. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, you know, Paul tells us that whenever we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his death until he comes. Advent is about the fact that Jesus has come, but it's also about the fact that we're waiting for him to come again. We're waiting for him to finish the work of making all things new. He is making us new now but one day we'll be new. And when that day happens, none of these crazy stories will happen anymore because we'll be fully redeemed. There will be no sin. God won't have to work through wicked people. He'll work through fully redeemed and restored people, and that will be us if we're in Christ. And so as you prepare your heart to take the Lord's Supper today, I would encourage you just to meditate on God's Word and to think about who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what it means uh, that Christ, or that God sent him into the world to redeem it that God sent him into the world to redeem us and even those who seem broken beyond redemption let's pray.